0: You're listening to Have the Conversation podcast, a podcast centered around mental health, wellness, and everything in between. My name is Kala.
1: And I'm Leanne. We're sitting down with everyday people to talk about life and the lessons they've learned, all in an effort to connect and stay encouraged. Hey guys, today we sat down with a friend and client of mine, Claire Antunes, to talk about parenting and autism, personal stories, experiences, and misconceptions, and hear a bit about her story as well. Claire takes resilience and thoughtfulness to another level. I'm thankful to have her in my life and thankful for this conversation. I hope you enjoy.
0: Claire, I just wanted to say thank you, first of all, for coming on. I know that when it comes to talking about diagnoses or children or whatever it can be really really vulnerable so I just want to acknowledge that right off the bat and just say thank you thank you um as a parent who's struggled with similar I just want to just hats off to you seriously it's it's a big deal um and I know that you sent over a few things so I didn't know how you wanted to handle your disclaimer but um I just want to give you every opportunity or any opportunity to Say what you want to say in regards to that.
2: (laughs) Yes. So my biggest concern, you know, beyond privacy issues and like respecting, you know, medical privacy is that I don't want to upset anyone. I'm very conscious that like a lot of things we might be talking about are incredibly sensitive to other people. And, um, I could think of like three different categories of what we might be talking about. Parenting, special needs parenting, disability, medical condition, chronic conditions, and like a ton of other stuff that might be hot button issues for most people. So I wanted to, I mean, should I, I guess I could just read them. Have you, ever, like, have you ever had any guests before bring their disclaimers before they talk? No, but I love it.
0: I was telling Leanne, it's so funny because you and I are so similar. I was like, this is me on
2: paper five years ago. <laughs> oh, that's what I told Leanne. I was like, how do you think she would react? I'm like, I'm a little bit, uh, I wrote five pages and I'm ready to like read. And she's like, I think I would like it. Okay. So it just covers the bases, and then make sure that everybody knows like what we're talking about and that I don't, I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just sharing a version of our experience that might be helpful to people and might spread awareness. That's my goal. Spreading awareness is what I'm trying to do here.
1: That's our goal too, so you're in the right spot. Good, yes, okay.
2: <laughs> so the first thing is that I want to make it clear that everything that we're going to talk about is just based upon my experience and that it's not representative. Any Anything that I do talk about, I have absolutely no credentials. I'm not a professional. I'm probably, you know, other than my experience as a parent and a person with chronic illness, I have no other authority to talk on this topic. I'm just coming from a place of sharing my personal experience. So it doesn't represent anything we do talk about is not representative of the entire community. That's number one. Number two, I feel like it's important, especially in this climate that we all address that we are three white girls talking about everything. So it's coming from a place of privilege uh, for our, from our race, our gender, our sexual orientation, that things that we, you know, we might have opinions on certain subjects, but other people might not the luxury of that opinion because they don't have the same circumstances growing up. So if I talk about treatments that I had access, I, I know for a fact that treatments I've had access to, maybe other people don't for a multitude of reasons. And that, you know, maybe my perspective on parenting and special needs are coming from a place of privilege because I do have resources and means to access treatments and I've you know, we're all educated, stuff like that. So I just want to say that, like, I don't approach this taking any of that for granted. I understand that it's a luxury and an advantage to be in this position that we're in. That's number two. And then number three is that um if we do talk a lot about parenting, I think a lot of people can get defensive if maybe it's not representative of the way that they like to parent. And I want to say that anything that I do talk about is just based upon what worked best for us at the time might not work for everybody else. It's not the best way. It's not the right way to parent. And that carries over to special needs parenting. It's just an example of how we did it, what worked for us, what we've had success with. So not the right way, not the best way, just our way. I love that. Oh, that's beautiful.
1: I feel like I did take that disclaimer into every day of my life. Like this is not a mess, it's just what I'm doing. Right
0: now. No, I love that. That was, that was so beautiful and eloquently said. Um, I want to talk about your daughter, Sophie. Tell me about her diagnosis and
2: when you first were given that diagnosis. Yeah. So she was diagnosed, um, like almost exactly on her second birthday and, uh, we, so we found out that was last year, 2000 and what was last year? I don't even know what date is 2019. We found out that Sophie was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level two. And for those of you that don't know, I also wrote up this. <laughs> so um to spread a little autism awareness, because I'm going to be talking about like some terms and not everybody is. I had no idea what the levels were before she was diagnosed. So I, expect there are a lot of people in the same category. And it it has recently changed. So um, there's three levels. Number one, being people who um, have more, uh, the, the textbook definition is that there are people who struggle the least in school, work, and life situations. And then level two, you know, struggle a little bit more. It's all based upon like how your challenges affect your ability to function in everyday life and i was gonna say is it more like a high functioning low functioning scale yes and and here we're already getting into like problematic terminology (laughs) that is changing on a day-to-day basis i so this my whole journey started a year ago and at that time i thought it was perfectly okay to say high functioning severely affected low functioning and i've learned through my mom's group and stuff that that hurts a lot of people's feelings and that it's it's a continuum of self-definition of like increased research increased knowledge and what we're learning is that and, and I think the medical community as a whole is trying to redefine they're in the process of redefining the the Um, parameters for medical diagnosis to properly reflect and not really fall back on like reductive terms like that that are kind of like a catch-all and maybe misrepresentative of what people are actually going through so okay yeah what is the right thing to say I do not know (laughs) and and you ask people and everybody's got different opinions but I think yes if if we're just going for a um, like to illustrate to people who don't know a lot about autism, yes. Like a level one person, if you see them in your workplace, they, you know, typically do well in school. Maybe they're, you know, genius level, but then struggle with sensory processing or social situations or things like that. And then your person who's on the level three end of the spectrum maybe isn't um, doesn't have spoken language or um, struggles with, like, um, tasks related to independence, like um, going to the store, or, you know, they they might still live with their parents or with a caregiver or something like that. They can't um, function on their own. And then level two is somewhere in the middle. (laughs) So my daughter is level two. And um, she's um, a mixture of those two extremes. And I think, that's the uh, the other thing that a lot of people don't understand about autism is that we have these categories to kind of help us understand and help us define from a medical perspective what people might be going through but every single person is a combination of so many different characteristics in different intensities and and something one person might struggle with as a level 1 my daughter as a level 2 doesn't struggle with at all so it's like we use these general terms to kind of like put make sense of something that's so complicated but it doesn't define anybody right it doesn't it isn't it isn't that specific
0: yeah it's not a textbook case where you can just say this is this, this and this is what you're going to deal with
2: right exactly no yeah so um sophie's case was a little bit trickier because we had to kind of, we we kind of did it backwards. Like most people would, you get, um, if you had kids, you know that at 18 months they get something called an MCHAT and it's an autism questionnaire screener that every pediatrician administers and it basically catches the early red flags. Um, delayed speech, maybe um, not enough development of speech, repetitive behaviors, sensitivity to light, sound, and touch, Um, if they, you know, play at an age-appropriate level with other kids. Like, these are the questions that every pediatrician is going to ask at 18 months. And we had that screener, and she checked a lot of boxes. And through some sort of miscommunication, it, she fell through the cracks. And the only thing that was really acknowledged at the time, and that was unavoidable, I think, was her speech delay. Because at 18 months, she was not talking. And, uh, and she didn't have much receptive language either, so she couldn't understand what we were saying as well. know Some kids with speech delays, they can still understand and follow instructions, but she could not. So we ended up going down kind of the path of speech therapy, thinking that it was just she needed more practice or, or more support developing speech and the ability to talk. And what we realized through that process was that it was way more than just speech and that we needed to kind of advocate and pursue this alternative path that made sense to us, but maybe didn't make sense to our pediatrician at the time. And like one of the things I wrote on my dissertation that I wrote you was like the importance of advocacy and you know, self-advocacy in ourselves, and then parental advocacy for our kids, and that was really what made the difference, so what ended up happening was I went back to the pediatrician months later, and was like, listen, like, I'm dealing with this every day, I know this isn't just a speech delay, she's showing all these other quintessential signs that maybe she's on the spectrum, I want to get her evaluated, and our pediatrician was like, are you sure, and I was like, so she referred us to the developmental pediatrician who then was like a month long process to get her diagnosed.
0: I'm gonna say it starts kind of a whole new plan of crossing things off that it could or couldn't be. That's a stretch
2: that's a stressful situation right because you don't know that's the hardest part about it is that you don't know what you don't know
0: and you're not getting answers. <laughs>
2: And you're not getting answers. You know something's wrong. Like your your intuition is like firing on all four cylinders, but you're not getting any, like, you're not getting anywhere. And you're not like I'm not a medical professional, so I can't go in there and be like, you know, spouting off, you know, journal journal articles with like, this is, you know, a perfect example here. Here's my reference. And like, I'm just going in mom being like, something is not. Yeah, you've got the emotional pull as a
0: mom, and then seeing who you are as a person and what you're capable of, I know you're doing research on your own to try to make sense of this so that when you go in there that you're prepared, right? And nothing can prepare you for any of that because it all becomes so new again. And I just I empathize with with that situation so much. That is a tough spot to be in. So you went to the... um
2: developmental pediatrician that so um to get an autism diagnosis you have to go through i think we went through three rounds of evaluation and um with a. they have all these fancy names it's like all these tests with like a bunch of hyphenated last names so you have to go through all the a series of tests and a lot of it is for insurance the insurance requirements and stuff like that so um, I, it took four weeks and my first meeting I met with the doctor and, uh, uh, in the first five minutes, he just said, your daughter has autism. Like I had just sat down, she goes to play with like the Lego table and he's like, she definitely is on the spectrum. And I was like, like, I just like flew back in my chair. Like, Oh my God. Like I've been, I've been begging someone to acknowledge this for eight months. I've been, you know, dealing with professionals who just kept telling me, no, I don't think so, you know, and he just immediately was like, oh yeah, look, she's not showing you any of the toys that she's playing with. She's not pointing to the shelf of toys of things that she's excited about. She's not trying to get me to, you know, engage and play with her. And I just was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like, Yeah. To the gut. Yeah. Like, duh. Like, it's like, I mean, it was every day. Of course, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Like, that was my day-to-day life of knowing that that's exactly how she played. But as a first-time mom, I didn't know that that's not what two-year-olds typically do. I had no idea. So, you know, it was it was a process at that point of just like vindication and, and the, like a big, Oh shit. Like what next? <laughs> what does this mean? Okay. You know, you feel like, yeah,
0: you're thankful because you have like a tangible thing that you can say, okay, this is what it is. Someone's finally told, given me an answer. But that answer well, is a punch to the stomach. Right. Right. You've gone months. Like, like, what does this mean for the rest of my life for her life and all these lot of emotions
2: come because that wasn't in your plans <laughs> you know like really right right you've gone months I mean not that I had like hard and fast plans anyway but it's I didn't even know what to do next I didn't even know where to go from there like is school out of the question like I had always imagined she would go to public school is that just like totally not in the cards anymore I was like Where is she going to go to school? Can she go to school? You know, is she going to need, you know, private tutoring? You know, it's just like your mind just goes in a million directions at once. Right. So. Yeah, it's like a spider web. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Right? Because then it's like, as a mom, you're like, okay, all of this is my responsibility. So it goes so much further than just school. That's just a part of it. You're like, our day-to-day, every aspect of our day-to-day from now until who knows? It's just
1: completely blank. So you get that diagnosis, and then I, I know on this sheet you wrote down some resources, but like, where did you go from there?
2: So um, the doctor, the developmental pediatrician, gave us like—he um, gave us a few resources. Um, he gave us like a couple books. They were mostly like practical guides, um, not like, more of, like, medical, not very, like, I think at that point, you need, like, a little bit of, like, emotional support,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and he was kind of, like, the medical support, so um, I actually reached out to a family friend that I've, it's, like, one of our oldest family friends, we don't have many, we've moved around a lot, so the fact that we've kept in touch all these years, and she has a daughter with autism as well, and I reached out to her, and I was just, like, what the heck am I gonna do? Like, where do I go? I was like, can you recommend some books that you really liked? And she recommended two books. And I just immediately was like, even if it didn't perfectly apply to my situation, I was like, I knew myself. And I was like, this is what's going to get me through this. Like, not maybe not everybody reacts the same way. And they want to become like a research nerd and like, write a dissertation. But like, me personally, that helps me. So I just went to the library. And I I went to the Plano Public Library, doesn't have to be anything fancy, and they had a great selection of books on autism. And I just typed into the card catalog autism, printed out everything that came up, and just like started like grabbing titles, like whatever I could get. And I found that that was 10 times more helpful than just looking for like kind of like generic advice because one of the beautiful things about the library is that all the books in the library are vetted and you don't just get whatever is published. You get like thoughtful choices about what's available and why it's important. And is it a, um, you know, is it credible? Is the author, you know, do they have something important to say? So it's so much better to, for me to kind of like, have that support in my research as opposed to just going on you know a google search and then you can you know any google search you do with anything regarding anything medical yes you can get that like okay it's gonna like cause like you know
1: everything causes cancer everything causes cancer right so like
2: (laughs) it's like that's what was coming up or like you know if you have a kid with autism, you know, you should try this herbal supplement, you know, like that's what I was kind of getting. And it's like, not that there's anything wrong with herbal supplements or that maybe some people really find benefits from it, but it's like,
0: are you like an Amazon influencer
2: trying to do something? Right. Like I guess, are you promoting this supplement because you did a double blind research study with a huge, you know, group of diverse people and you're publishing your findings, or are you a mom who has a blog and you just like this, you know, it's like, when you're giving advice to other parents, it's like, and there isn't the caveat of this is what worked for me, might not work for you, but, you know, just know I have no credentials or expertise in this area, I'm just giving a suggestion, to me, that's like advice that comes later on. When you're right there in the beginning, you need like you yes. need that like acronym after someone's name. You need the PhDs. You need the people who are you know masters in education. You need the people who've studied this inside and out, and they have like a really good understanding of what this looks like for lots of people, not just their own personal experience. And yeah. for me, that was the library in the beginning. Fa- friends, trusted family friends, and the library. Yeah,
1: That's so interesting because I did not ever think about the library vetting their books. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but it's just...
2: Yeah. How do they choose what goes into their collection? They, I mean, librarians think about that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) That's their whole job, right? Is to like decide, you know, is this a valid work? Is it not? And not to like pass judgment on maybe if something isn't like their taste. But especially when it came to things like self-help and stuff like that I definitely saw in their collect I mean I looked through the whole offering of books on autism and some of them were the best ones that I'd ever read or ones that I just found from card catalog search at the library that I I don't know if I would have ever found them otherwise wow like this one plug this is called neurotribes I found this one at the library and then I bought a copy and my mom bought a copy because we loved it oh, so was,
0: that's much fantastic. That's so. A good
1: one. <laughs> So go to your local library; it's free.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's it's yeah. yeah, I love it. I love wow. it. Um, when you had the initial diagnosis,
2: was it? Did it start at a level two? Did it go? Um, I, I know I don't know how it works if you get diagnosed later in life, but since she was so little, um, there's a lot of like developmental age-appropriate concerns to be taken into account. So she got her initial diagnosis at two. And it's going to be a couple of years before she gets reassessed just because she's a baby. And we just need to get her to be a little bit older to be able to handle a more, um, maybe rigorous or like academic Yeah,
0: she's growing and developing too. Right.
2: So, so right now she's level two and she'll stay at that until I think at four, she gets reassessed. And then she does like a more um, advanced, uh, what is it? I don't know how to describe it. IQ test, but not really an IQ test, like something that you would give kids that are maybe more like school age, like kindergarten age. So it can yeah, be... A lot of that stuff um, with her epilepsy and different things. She had a lot of similar testing Or So Leanne kind of mentioned that, but I'd love to hear you talk about your experience, because I don't really know the details of it.
0: Yeah, so my... I have twins, so my daughter and my son... Um, totally different. <laughs> I mean, totally <laughs> different. So I empathize with you when, when you say things like, you know, each kid literally is different. And I can say that dead on because I had kids that were the same age, you know, in the same house and they couldn't be more different. But um we had a lot of the speech delays too. She wasn't saying anything, but her brother was always talking for her. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we really thought like maybe it was just she just wasn't interested, all that stuff. Um, And I happened to talk to my aunt um, who works with children who are are special needs um, children. And I had just said, you know, she kind of looks off a little bit and we can't tell if she's paying attention or not. She suggested that we see a neurologist. She's like, just go, just go check. And so we did. And um, she had her first sleep deprived EEG type thing. You know, we stay up for, all night long and then you go and you get the wires and then she gets to fall asleep and they watch the brain activity wow and um
2: did you have to stay up for that like did you guys observe
0: yeah. Wow. yeah me and my husband just kind of switched off and then the neurologist that we were seeing was in Fort Worth so we had like a hour drive in the morning trying to keep her awake and like all that stuff and luckily oh, it's like in the morning but you're at right. so that point you know right. so it's nerve-wracking and all that so we um we got there, they did the, um, the EEG, and immediately it was, is she moving? Is she okay over there? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, is she twitching? And I was like, well, she kind of like jerks a little bit just when she's getting comfortable, you know? And it was just spike after spike after oh spike. My God. Um, she was having 50 to 100 seizures a day. Oh,
2: was a <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's terrifying.
0: Yeah, so Absolutely I,
2: terrifying.
0: I back in after a test like that, and she's tired and you're tired, and I've written about it many times that until you're in a waiting room with children who have issues, you'll never, your your heart can't take it,
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> right.
0: because I'm sitting here going, my daughter's fine, and I'm seeing all these other children who are clearly not okay, Right and how are, right. are their diagnoses similar, and, like, what is happening? It It is such – I was telling Leanne this earlier. It's such an isolating feeling, even though other people are going through it too. Yeah. Because each kid is different. It's your own experience, right? Yeah. So we back, and we talked to the neurologist, and that's when I got the, the diagnosis of epilepsy. And mm-hmm. from there, it started physical therapy, speech therapy, all those things. And, you know, it's just kind of – navigating through all that and just hoping for a little bit of
1: time yeah So yeah can you show claire the picture that lane made that's next to you the one that that her drawing
0: oh yeah 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 so can you see this this is my daughter's picture she wrote this beautiful thing because she had Uh a superpower (laughs) and her superpower it says my superpower is making art my art makes people cheerful it puts them in a good mood. I use my art skills to show emotions and make the world a happier place. My superpower makes me feel good too.
2: Oh, <laughs> and then you just like are in a puddle on the floor. like.
0: like and, and I think too, like a big thing for me and in, in my story, and I, I, again, don't want to speak for anybody else or say this, but a, a real turning point for me because she's now going into fourth grade. So we've been in the school system and uh, same concerns about yeah. that, you know? And some of it was a struggle. Some of it, we had great, great help off the bat. People want to help her. She's a great kid, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And uh, where was I going with this? Sorry. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm just spaced. Uh, oh, my God. You said she's in fourth grade now. But, you know, I was thinking, um, Oh, kindergarten. a big thing for me was because they came back to me and wanted to talk in one of our art meetings about her. And her future.
2: And oh, com- you should define what AR- ARD meetings are. ARD for people who don't know. I just learned this.
0: Basically, you have a child that doesn't fall within normal standards for the public classroom. Right. You say neuro
1: But
0: no child does. Let me say that. But it's right. the admission, re- review, and dismissal meeting. So it's to set up your plan for your child. Yeah, it can go two ways. It can go the ARD meeting or a 504. 504 is medical. <laughs> so all this right. stuff things that I had to learn just like
2: you. Every single parent has to learn this like alphabet language yes. of, like acronyms. Yes, yes. it's but it's,
0: it's, scary, it's good. scary and it's bothersome all the same time. <laughs> um yeah my my experience was was different with our school district and I don't really want to get into to the craziness that ensued there but yeah. um she didn't go 504 she went ARD so now she gets pulled out for reading and math for special education.
2: Mm-hmm. but three
0: of the other time she's we call it general pop like prison essentially She's in a
2: that's class. exactly what I said and I felt so bad about it They call it gen pop school yeah. like, is that terrible <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that sounds terrible but that's I don't know it, it just helps me understand like what I'm talking about yeah
0: oh exactly yeah she's in <laughs> the classroom but she gets pulled out for different things for certain periods of day and over the last you know four years we've worked through that process we meet several times a year to make sure she's on track with what she's doing her homework's a little bit different than the other kids in her class
2: mm-hmm. but she's
0: still around other kids pros and cons to both of that that's totally a personal thing um, right. for how you navigate with that with your child um, because it's interesting <laughs> i'll just leave it at that it's interesting it's, and, uh, it's a
2: that tri- that. it's a, a never-ending trial
0: yeah yeah that's exactly it and so um, now that we're, she's going into fourth grade, oh, that's what I was saying. What really helped me kind of turn the corner, literally, probably like second grade, because I was really worried about like the standardized testings and things like that. You know, how yeah. are we going to complete this? Because yeah, she gets help during the day, but she doesn't get help on this.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, they don't. And so it's like,
2: it's so rigid.
0: The, it's insane. The the whole yeah. School system just needs to be dismantled.
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> Are we now advocating for unschooling?
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, because, oh my God, I could, I could go for forever. But the big thing that helped me was, and, and I don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers, because I, I, I haven't really said this on a public forum yet, but that I had to stop introducing her as her diagnosis. This is something yeah. that she has, but this isn't who she is. Right. Because I caught myself for years saying, introducing her by her name and then saying, oh, but she has epilepsy or all this stuff. And some people need that because it's for medical, everything.
2: She didn't. Right. And that's all. That is actually, so. when I was researching last night, I hadn't really, um, I don't really know that much about um, those kinds of semantic Specifics and stuff like that. So um, I had watched an episode of this TV show that's about a kid who has autism, and they talk about, in one of the episodes, this idea of people-first pronouns. Like, I'm not uh, an autistic child. I'm a child with autism. Like, I am more than my diagnosis. So I was reading an article last night because that's what I thought was better. And um, there's actually a lot of disagreement on that. And it and, yeah. What's really interesting about it is that the way that people feel about it is kind of everybody who is an adult with autism kind of self-advocating says, no, like autism is a part of my identity. I want to be referred to as an autistic person, like someone who's gay would want to be referred to as gay. It's like it's a part of who I am. It's never going away. It's fundamental to my daily life. And that's how I want to be identified. And then it's the parents of kids with autism. And maybe, I think maybe autism in this case is a little bit different than epilepsy because sure. the will it affect her for the rest of her life? You know, that's maybe you don't know. Or does it affect her day-to-day life as much? You know, as parents, do we ever really know? But it, But it's the parents who were advocating for, uh, child with autism instead of the autistic child and I just thought that that was so interesting like the two perspectives of parents really really wanting their kids to be accepted and and you know or just like not you know our kids are different but they're not less than and we're so sensitive to that and we yeah. advocate and we campaign and we'll like go full mama bear on anybody who tries to make our kids feel less than, and we know that they're not. And we, I mean, we know, we, we absolutely know in our hearts that they're not less than, but so we, we fight really, really hard to have them not be defined by their diagnosis. But I think it's just so interesting that then when some of these kids grow up, that they kind of like take it back and like own it and it becomes like something that like empowers them
0: uh-huh.
2: and, and I don't know I don't know if anybody can decide like which is right because a parent like a parent's role and a parent's perception of the situation is always going to be different than oh for the sure themselves but I think that's one of the kind of really cool things about where we're at right now is that what's happening now and and like parents like you who are advocating and trying to make sure that their kid doesn't feel different or you know less than because they need that special service or support what's that going to manifest in 10 years time 20 years time when our kids grow up like how is that generation going to be different because we were that type of parent yeah that's that's so interesting like I'm excited you know it's like it's it's so hard (laughs) like what we do is is so so hard hard. and it's heartbreaking and I've probably like cried more in the last like couple years than I have my whole life but I don't know I just think that there's something so exciting about what we're doing and how it's different from the way previous generations have parented their kids yeah yeah
0: how did your parents take the diagnosis like let's
2: yeah. Grandparents, right? Yeah. Uh, everybody in our family took it really well. Um, we, uh, the caveat to that being, we were very careful about how we told everybody. We're still in the process of telling everybody. There's probably a lot of family members that are going to find out from this podcast <laughs> exactly what's been going on for the last year. Yeah. We had the, her diagnosis for a year, and we were, um, a lot of family hasn't seen her since she's been diagnosed, because a lot of them live um, on the other In other parts of the country so we're kind of our immediate family and everybody like who needs to know knows but beyond that you know I really felt strongly about not wanting to tell anybody without them seeing her and without me being able to in person like explain what it meant.
1: Mm, That's so thoughtful.
2: I mean, so because I, I mean, really, like, I, I just thought about how I react, reacted and to her diagnosis before I knew what it was. And I knew that I was just as well meaning as anybody can ever be. If you're just completely in the dark and ignorant about what it means, like, how can you function with the child if you don't, if you know that's something wrong, but you don't know what it is and you don't know how to like act around them? Yeah, no, I think for some people, it's more than others. For me, maybe I'm projecting my, you know, issues on everybody. But I just knew that some people were going to hear the word autism and they were going to fill in the blanks with misconceptions, with maybe some, you know, damaging misconceptions, some, you know, uh, good Samaritan, but not helpful, (laughs) you know, things like where they mean well, but they're kind of like, you know, still making her feel different by like, over cuddling her you know like kind of you know like treating yeah. her like damaged a little bit you know I didn't want anything like that I wanted everybody to have like a 100% concrete um, understanding of what it meant and who Sophie was like I, I'm telling you that she has autism I'm telling you that you that she has developmental delays and look at her, like, she's cute as a button, she's she an is. absolute delight, <laughs> like, she's playing with her toys, like, she's not broken, she's not damaged, she's not less than, she just thinks completely differently than the kids sitting next to her, and that's what I tried to, like, slow down, not just tell everybody out of the gate, like, oh, we got big news, you know, here's a family, you know, email, I really just wanted to be, like, because a lot of people were worried, you know. A lot of people they they were concerned. Like it's it's scary. It's and especially if you don't understand what it means. I mean, they're like, you know, it's their family member who they love, and they don't want anything bad for her. So they not really concerned, and it was like, oh look, you know, she likes to line up the markers and hold them in her hands and like analyze each of the colors instead of taking off the caps and drawing pictures, like but it's adorable. And you just want to like squeeze her all the same. Like it So it was like Sophie, right? Right. Exactly. She just does these cute little quirky things and not every kid. Okay. Caveat time. Not every kid is like that. Some kids are, you know, have much more severe challenges and it's maybe more obvious or more disconcerting to people. Um, you know, if they have certain behaviors, um, it can be very challenging and not every kid is um, like Sophie. They don't all think like her and they don't all act like her. And so I can imagine that for a lot of other people, it maybe isn't as easy to like, just say, look, she's like a cute little kid and there's nothing wrong with her. You know, that is just what we were dealing with. So that's how I approached it. Right. It was like, because that's how I felt. I mean, before her diagnosis, I really felt like there was nothing wrong. Like, she was, I think, like, seven or eight months old, and we have videos of her going into her little, like, playing at her little table, maybe not that young, because she was standing, but, um, and picking out the orange one out of every set. She had, like, you know, colorful pieces of, like, stacking blocks and balls and, like, Every time she saw something orange, she'd pick it out, and then she'd have to hold the orange thing. She'd, like, white knuckle this orange toy. And we all just thought that that was the cutest thing we had ever seen in in our lives. Like, oh, my gosh, she's so little, and she just has a favorite color, and she loves orange, and, oh, my gosh, isn't that amazing? And then it it ended up being, like, um, one of her kind of the things that – one of her diagnostic things of, like – What would you say that that is? I don't know, having a preference or like really a high sensitivity to colors like any spectrum have. So, you know, we all just thought it was adorable and, you know, Sophie's so unique and she's which she is. And, uh, you know, she just does these things that no other babies do, but they're really cute. And so that's kind of, that carried over. Like even after I got her diagnosis, I still felt that way. Like she's just, to me, and I'm sure you felt the same way about your child. Like what you were saying about the waiting room it's like all these kids, but my kid is perfect. Like I kind of still felt that way. Like I don't see anything less, I just see like my roadmap to educating her and helping her learn and grow as being completely different. But yeah, not less than not broken, not anything like that. And that's just how like, I mean, that's guided me through this whole process. Like,
0: yeah, I think that's what I meant when I was saying like diagnosis, like it was really important that my daughter understood that she had epilepsy. She needed mm-hmm. to, to know how to communicate that for safety reasons, for, for X amount of reasons. Yeah. You know, she needs to know that, but that is not who she is. Yeah. And when I started explaining that to her, because I got really caught up, I'm going to be... 100% real. I got really caught up in the diagnosis of this is, this is what we are now. We are a family with a child with epilepsy. And we need to be epilepsy warriors. Epilepsy, epilepsy, epilepsy. Everything
2: shirts.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And then you start to join these groups or get help and you meet people, and it's really great. And it can be not great too <laughs> you know yeah there, there's, there's good and bad and bad in all those groups right right and for me I really had to say this isn't where I'm putting my energy for me right yeah for my daughter and for, for our experience my energy needed to be put into making sure that her path was going to be carved out by her and we were going to be there to kind of like be the guardrails on either side to make sure that she she stayed the path whatever path she was going
2: right
0: on either side making sure that she could get there but we we couldn't do it the way that we were with going full diagnosis this is who we are now I just it didn't work for our family
2: right yeah I feel I feel the same way like acknowledging it but not Letting it identify us completely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it's I, so easy to get lost there. Go ahead, Leanne. I'm sorry. It speaks really highly of the type of parents that you guys are because a lot of people refuse to acknowledge from the get-go. Refuse. And then a lot of people don't put in the time and the effort to researching and finding groups and getting the, you know, support and finding the right teachers and classes and and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a job. It's a, it's a full-time job to, to discover those things. And so I think that, like, your I'll do a caveat too, because I guess not every child's success is because of their parents completely, like, whether right. it's that.
2: that was an excellent caveat yes,
1: yes <laughs> <perfect>. <laughs> and, like you should be really proud at the progress that your kids have made because it's it's because of the work you put in and the time and the love and the support and that's exactly what they need you know there's something about
0: children though and i guess it's essentially there's something about just humankind because we were all children right they're so resilient Anything that you think that they can't handle, they're totally fine. They're better than you could have ever expected. And there's something so beautiful about that. And that's what makes walking the walk of a child with with a child whose needs are different, which I have two perfectly normal boys, apparently. Oh, my God. They have their own <laughs> issues. <laughs> so they come with a medical diagnosis. Um, but they've got them. A- uh, you know, that they are stronger than any situation or label that's given to them.
2: Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I wrote that in my notes, but I, I think that's a good thing. Is A, having problems and struggles and challenges is universal. It's a human condition. It's not something only people with special needs face. Yeah. And B, I um this was something that Leanne I think I mentioned this to you a couple years ago, but like right when I first started training with Leanne, Leanne has been as much my therapist as my trainer slash physical therapist. I know. Like I tell her that all the time. I'm like, you're like the best therapy money could buy. So um, I was like 10 levels deep in my trauma. And the reason, you know, it was, it went beyond like the the medical reason why I started seeing Leanne and the issues I have with my spine. It was like, mentally, I was like, like, yeah, like I was underground. Like I, I couldn't see the forest of the trees. And, um, (laughs) well, in every single session I would come in and I would just be like, I can't drive and I can't walk and I can't like. Uh, I lost my job, and I'm, like, dealing with all these doctors, and the insurance companies, so they wouldn't pay for this, and Leanne would just, like, quietly listen, like, wonderfully, like an angel, and, like, not be like, you told me this last week, or anything, you're
0: crying, you're crying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but she, she, like, did this thing, it was almost, like, like, so expert, she just posted this, um, little graphic, like kind of like the graphics that you guys post down, but it was on your fitness page okay. and it was like, and I wish I had it cause I want to like frame it. And, uh, but I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was just something like, yes, like your, your trauma happened to you. You, you have this bad thing that happened to you in your life, but you're never going to be able to move past it because you're still like reliving it
0: mm-hmm. every
2: single day. You're reliving it. And I think that that is sometimes true with people who make every aspect of their life about a diagnosis or a disability or something like that. If it helps you wear the t-shirts, you know, get a necklace, get a tattoo. Like if that helps you go for it, but for other people, it's like, I need to be able to think about something else. I need to very much acknowledge it very much. Be proud of it. I'm not hiding anything, but it's like, a part of it is holding me back yeah so I need to move forward I need to let it go a little bit in order to move forward I think that's what it said I think it said something about letting go yeah let go your trauma and not that okay caveat time not, <laughs> a diagnosis or an epilepsy diagnosis is a trauma but if it's it really star- abs-
0: hold on. absolutely it is because when you are for a parent
2: of a child
0: a, yeah. isn't just a disruption it's
2: just a disruption when it comes exactly. down to. I yeah. didn't put that in my glossary. I don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I need to research. I think if it's for something that's like a lifelong condition, it definitely can. It has the potential for trauma. Yeah. And if you can't let it go, if you can't put it in your, if it if it takes up too much space in your life and in your bandwidth, you just can't move past it. And I love. I love what you're doing where it's like, you're the parent and you, you are the bumpers. Like you're the bowling alley bumpers, but let them kind of like self-define where this yeah. is going to go a little bit. I mean, you don't have to, to completely, you know, manage every aspect of your child's life to have them succeed. Absolutely. And, and it's a it
0: backfire and it I was going to say that. <laughs>
2: yeah. Right. We can't, We cannot overwater, we cannot overwater our kids.
0: We <laughs> gotta let them, so like, true. you
2: know. <laughs> that so
0: true. Yes, we talk a lot about that in our family about how, um, my husband and I, it's like they're kids right now, but we're raising adults, you know, so they're not gonna be here for forever, and I only have X amount of time to teach them tools, right? right? And we've got a child with a diagnosis. There's, a, We still don't know if she'll ever be able to drive. We don't know if she'll, you know, we don't know what her situation is going to be. But we're going to make her as independent as she possibly can be. <laughs> and that's all we do.
2: Right.
0: Is, we're going to yeah. be here when she needs something without a question, without that. But saying she can't do these things automatically right. limits her and us from being able to parent her in the way that we don't know her right. capabilities.
2: Okay, not often thought of, but best example of not underestimating people with disabilities is Finding Nemo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. I watched that movie five thousand times. Five thousand times. No, no fewer than five thousand times have I watched that movie. No fewer. Only in the like four thousand and ninety ninth time did I realize that it's all about not underestimating and letting people with disabilities reach their full potential. Yep. Like, why did oh, I, I not know. realize that the first 1,000, yeah. you know, 3,000 times I saw it, but, but it is, it's such a beautiful story about, it's it's so good. It's so good, I should've put that on the list. But, you know, it's like I, I, I think that there's something to be said for parents with the best of intentions thinking that their kids can't do something and that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Let them figure it out. You might have your doubts and you might, they might wanna do something that you know they definitely can't do. But, like, let them kind of try it. Like, I, I, I and I, you know, I only have a three-year-old, so I don't have a kid that I can, ex- I, she's not old enough yet for me to explain what's going on or what her yeah. dad to do. Yeah. And I don't know when she is going to be old enough that I can do that. But I am, I really want for the future, for her to be able to do exactly what you said. Like, I want her to forge her own path, whatever it may look like. If it doesn't involve a big wedding, if it doesn't involve you know a nine to five desk job, you know, okay, what do you want to do? And and I, I think I'm a perfect example of like my life isn't anything what I thought it was going to be. Like my <laughs> career, my I never in a million years thought I was going to be a stay at home mom, but I'm finding fulfillment and satisfaction in this life what i have left after what i've lost that i never thought was possible and i just kind of got thrown into the deep end and i made the best of it and you know i'm finding more fulfillment in being a stay-at-home mom and, a, and an advocate for sophie than i ever did in my career ever
1: yeah. and I, I think i could have that.
2: done that for another 30 years you know like i <laughs> so we, we want to plan and we want to make sure everybody's safe and secure. And as parents, like, that's your job, right? It's your job to make sure that your kids are success and you give them everything that they need. But there's a certain element of that that I think we forget sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, they have to be the ones driving. Like they have to be directing. You're supporting their directing. And yeah. even if they have special needs and challenges and limitations, especially fundamentally a key component all of the same, no less than neurotypical kids.
0: No, completely agree. I, it's less planning, you have to have some loose plan, but it's more living, it's more experiencing. Yes, more letting, them, letting them do that 100%. Like,
2: and, and like you said, like this, having this be every aspect of our life isn't working for us, so we're gonna pivot, and we're gonna do something different. Yep, that is that like critical thinking element and and changing and being flexible that to me like that's when i feel like i'm parenting the best i possibly can
0: absolutely because they start to thrive because they're not trying to you're not trying to fill a box or make them do it a certain way or or do they're doing it their way and it's working and they're growing and it's incredible to watch as a parent yeah
2: and then you get like oh free time
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a break. <laughs> you get a mental break. And, uh, yeah, and honestly, it's a break for them too because yes. the best way oh, for a child to grow is to just play, to be bored, to go, to figure it out on their own. That's when their skills start to shine. And it's my favorite thing as a parent to do is to watch my kids be bored. <laughs> <laughs> I that's so silly, but it, it is. It's one of my absolute favorite things oh. because natural skills come out.
1: That's in like that picture.
0: That's that's how like you yeah, <laughs> Natural stuff just starts to ooze out of them because that's who they are at their core. And if as a parent, we're lucky that we get to spend so much quality time with our kids. I mean, everybody kind of gets to now with, with quarantine and everything. Yeah. But there's something so special about being mm-hmm. or having the ability to stay at home with your children and choosing that because you do get to see your children just become who they are, who they're going right. to be in their skills and in what they're passionate about and and who they are and it's my favorite thing about being a parent honestly is just seeing what these little people are becoming
1: (laughs) great that's a really great point too because if you're constantly forcing some kind of direction or making them do something or giving them assignments like they don't have the time to figure out what they are interested in or might like you know, find soothing or, um, a creative outlet, you know?
2: yeah, You're right. I mean, it's like, um, uh, self-study being like a key component of not only skills of independence, but also self-soothing. Like that's a huge part of, um, actually it's called, there was a a book on my list and it's all about, um, a parent's guide to teaching resilience Mm -hmm. instead of, um, you know, curing or replacing um, ways of thinking. It's teaching them how to be more independent so that they can take care of themselves. And what do we need to do to make sure that our kids can occupy themselves, um, you know, pursue their own skills, calm themselves down when they're upset, deal with adversity, deal with disappointment and rejection. Like, and it all stems from just like, letting them like have this space to do it, like yeah. giving your kid the room and the, you know, the room to, to pursue their interests, but also to make those mistakes and kind of like learning for themselves. I, I think <laughs> it, 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 it's universal for every single parent of any, any child whatever their challenges, but also of their education. Like, what are you teaching them? What is the focus? What do you want to get out of this? yeah what you're teaching them and and the thing that resonated with me the most was resilience and that's like my keyword that I use and everything like um I think that's so important and, it and totally is don't you see a difference like I've seen a, a huge difference in her confidence level from that approach you know
1: can I tell a little story about that I think I'm gonna it already but so um So I went to Claire's place to train her a few weeks back. And I remember like you were saying that Sophie was starting to say like mama and dad. Mm -hmm. And so she's in the she's just kind of right next to us watching the little mermaid. And she's like enamored, just in the movie. You get it. uh, (laughs) She likes movies a lot. (laughs) And uh, Claire's telling me the story. And so we're both like, oh, Sophie, Sophie, can you say mama? And she turns from the TV and stares directly at me and she goes, mama. And then like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I
0: was yeah. like, yeah! That's amazing! <laughs>
2: um, we were flipping out and she's like, like, what is the big deal? like, she's like
0: can you guys quiet down? I'm yeah. to watch. <laughs> I'm trying to watch my movie. Like, you oh, know. I the- love that. Those are the moments, though. Those are the things that you're like, it, it's going to be alright. I think I find myself more stressed out when
2: I'm trying to understand it versus just letting my child be yes. my child. Um, yeah, right? Like you want to make sure that you're not like too turned off like you're or, um yeah. backed off. You don't want to yeah. like, you know, you don't want to be asleep, with, like yeah, okay. <laughs> realize that there's like a dumpster fire in your house, yeah, exactly. But
0: like, <laughs> and we need to be aware and we need to do all these things. And it's, it's such a hard place to navigate though because you have this child and you don't know anything, and then you start to notice that something's not right or Mm -hmm. that something's not clicking, and your intuition, like you talked about earlier, kicks in, and then it's an event to go to the doctor to lead up to all that stuff because there's so many what-ifs at that point, and then you're either given a diagnosis or not, and it continues to be passed off to be a bunch of different things because we've walked that walk, too. You know, both in my personal health yeah. and children. And it's so frustrating to not have answers, especially when it's of your child, and you would think, This is my child, don't they know this? Don't they know how imperative it is that this child there's something wrong? Why won't they help me? Right? Like mm-hmm. that is such like a hard, isolating time to walk through as a parent. And then to get that diagnosis, and then that opens up a whole nother can of worms. And then you have to navigate that and then you have to watch your child grow and go through all these different things. Like it's the most most challenging thing in the world but when you can just sit there and kind of count your blessings in the little the little moments like the mama and you know things like that (laughs) unfazed by all of it that makes it okay that makes it manageable those little
1: moments and I I just I get it right (laughs) (laughs) well you were talking about learning to pivot a little while ago, and and um,
2: oh yeah, I wrote that I, down.
1: <laughs> I feel like I would love for you to share your story a little bit about everything that's gone on. In, you know My your kids, life, all of all forty five of them. All of your pivots. I just feel like that's helped you become the resilient kind of person that you need to be able to parent Sophie as well as you do. And I just think that it would be valuable to share.
2: I do. I do think, um, I think about that a lot, how the struggles that I went through, even though they aren't the same, mine are physical, hers are neurological. Mm -hmm. um, Just dealing with that whole thing um, prepared me for this, prepared me for everything that I was going to be required, required to do when I had Sophie. It's like something that I don't really I don't voluntarily talk or think about it anymore for the reasons we've said like letting it go getting past it so can you narrow it down a little bit more for me like something specific about it that I can talk about because yes it is it's a bit traumatic okay to just
1: well i through that again yeah and Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want to stir up anything in you I just think it's such an inspiring story because to have something so so severe happened to your health at such a young age and forced you to completely change your life. Um, and you, I mean, I know, obviously I know it was extremely difficult, but you, you pivoted, like you made a new life for yourself. And I think it's like, it's, it's so amazingly inspiring and it it speaks to how strong you are. And I just, I just think it'd be great. Um, so maybe we could start with kind of, what what your injury was and and what it did to you. I mean, you were, you were living in New York and 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 now you're here and and kind of how you made your way back to to a healthier state.
2: So one of the I'm I'm talking about that. I'm just like putting in an anecdote here. So um, yeah. one of the things that really resonated with me when this whole COVID thing
1: started was
2: former inmates giving advice to people, everyday people on how to cope with the isolation of lockdowns and staying at home. Wow. Especially people who lived in like maybe small apartments and they didn't have green space or backyards or cars. Like if I had still been living in New York, I would be in a 23rd uh, floor apartment right now with uh, nowhere to go outside. I'd be stuck literally in a, a studio apartment in a box kind of like a cell, um, for months on end. And and former inmates were giving people advice about how to mentally and physically cope with that.
1: How amazing is that? Was know, incredible.
2: That, and it was like, yes, I mean, we do. We do have so much to learn from inmates. Like people who have like, pro- like dealt with that much adversity and the trauma of going to prison and everything like that. And I'm not going to get into that can of worms about it's punishment and all that. It's Reform to
0: prison system too. I'm, I'm on board with that
2: the, as well. But the point of it was, the point of this, the point of this thread was, is that I related to a lot of what they were saying. Like I could give advice on that as well. Not because I went to prison, but because I was kind of like trapped with a physical disability in my apartment. Couldn't drive, could barely walk for two years. And I, uh, when I had trouble in my pregnancy and when I went through this lockdown phase, I drew on a lot of my past experiences from what I went through when I hurt my back. So, okay, pivot back to I have degenerative disc disease, which means that I have, um, disc, I had a damaged disc where the nucleus had dried up and the outer disc wall was starting to crumble and my two vertebrae were kind of like falling in on each other. And it like ruined my life. And I was in so much pain. I lost my career. I lost, I, I we didn't know at the time if I was going to lose my ability to have a family. That didn't end up happening, thank God. But I lost, a, I lost my independence. I had to rely on family members to drive me everywhere.
1: Um, You were in your mid-20s, right? I was 28,
2: 28 and I was actually about to take the entrance exam to business school. I was studying for the the GMAT, and I was hoping within the year to go to business school. So, I mean, my career prospects were good. My, I was going to get an advanced degree, and I lost everything. And and then I had to deal with the trauma of that physical, mental, emotional isolation of being in a body that can't support your weight, where all you can do is lay in bed 23 hours out of the day, and you have no purpose, and you're just going out of your mind in pain and that's all you can think about. That's all you can think about. And it changes the way your brain is wired. It really does. So when people were, you know, trying to figure out how to deal with lockdown and being inside all the time, it was like the the same thing that the inmates were recommending is what I was doing because I knew that when I went through it, you've got to make a purpose for yourself, even if it only lasts a day. Give yourself projects. Find something that makes you happy even if it's for a couple hours and build that into your routine, even if it's like something so like not important and frivolous, if it, if it creates a reaction in your brain, do it and do it a lot. Mm -hmm. Find, you know, have a stack. I had a stack of, this is like not that long ago, but DVDs. (laughs) And I just had my go-to DVDs. If I felt my mental state slipping and I was starting to get depressed, I would just, whatever was next on the stack I just put that on and it like it had maybe the music that really cheered me up or like a lot of like Studio Ghibli films and stuff like that I would just manufacture that happiness as much as I could until I was in a situation where things could change but I did that for a really long time and I and then when this whole lockdown thing started I found myself Looking for that again, like what is my release? What's my escape? You know, is there a TV show that I want to rewatch that has like, you know, can I rewatch Game of Thrones, the mm-hmm. early seasons, not the later seasons, but you know, like the good ones, make <laughs> like, me happy again. Where you discover something like that, and and it's it's a universal skill, right? It's not just for the pandemic. It's not for it's. It helped me when I was knee deep in Sophie's diagnosis and I didn't know what to do and I couldn't get anybody to listen to me it's the same thing it was like you have to take a mental inventory often really pay attention to what your body especially and your mind is telling you like slow down take stock take some time like you yes you have 13 things on your to-do list but you need to just not focused on that right now. You need to like, take care of yourself. And when you are in touch with what you are actually feeling and what you're thinking, that's when, in my experience, you make progress in any aspect of life, but especially with your medical concerns. Because then you go into those doctor's offices and you say, no, this is what's going on. Let me tell you exactly what I'm feeling. Let me tell you exactly what I'm struggling with you can't help me with it, then I'm going to go on the internet the minute I get home and I'm going to find another doctor at Can you refer me to another specialist? Can you? And it's like empowering yourself by paying attention to your own mind which mm-hmm. we don't always do. Like sometimes we're just trying to get through the day-to-day that we just Absolutely are like, you, know, you yeah. know, push it to the back of your mind, push it to the back of your mind. So like being present and, and understand what's happening in the forefront of your mind and then that will like influence everything you do when you're out in the world and you can start advocating for yourself and transitioning from self-advocating for myself when I couldn't find a surgeon who would treat me and I couldn't find a doctor who understood this condition in such a young person because I was diagnosed when I was 28. Most people get this disease when they're in their late 50s, early 60s. So I had a lot of gender bias, I had a lot of age bias to deal with, to overcome, and it was, you know, this is bugging me, I feel like I'm not getting anywhere, I feel, like, hopeless, I'm dealing with so much, and it was like, no, what's bothering me, let's, like, take this down a notch, what exactly is bothering me, and it was like, my pain level isn't being managed, and then I did some research, and I was like, well, an orthopedic surgeon isn't going to be able to manage your pain, so you're barking up the wrong tree there okay, let's go to a pain specialist, research, find a pain specialist, yes, we can treat you, and we do these outpatient, out, outpatient procedures, and then I did that, and it was, like, all of a sudden, it was, like, oh, my God, like, I can breathe, I can get out of it, that's when I started seeing Leanne, is when I started, I could actually get into the gym, because I wasn't in so much pain that I couldn't even walk in the place, so it's, like, but it was only through that process of, like, Taking stock, figuring out what was working, what was making me happy what was making me you know worse and and then moving forward from there and not being afraid to really dissect my feelings listening and I, I think that's a great skill that I developed to become a mother is like these people are all telling me one thing my gut is screaming at me no let's. Like, let's let's, uh, drill down a little bit and see see what's going on there. Am I really wrong? And I say that all the time. I, like, I verbally say that in my daughter's um, parent training meetings. I'm like, I don't want to meddle, but, you know, interfere. But this is really bothering me. And it's such an important skill. And I would not be able to do that if I hadn't done it for myself for years. Mm -hmm. I would be too intimidated, I think. Mm-hmm. yeah a professional I don't know what I'm talking about I don't want to interfere I don't want to steamroll these people but you know yourself the best and you know your kid the best and and those two things are are so linked so oh my god parenting parental and, and your job is to advocate for your kids but you I don't know I feel like as a mom like you you just understand your kids at a different level than everybody else so you can advocate as if it was yourself.
1: They are part of you in every way.
2: For, for a, a portion of time, they are like, yes, it, like 100% a part of you. But And then they grow up and they become more independent. But until your kid can advocate for themselves, like you as a parent have to do it. And it's a skill. It's not something you're born knowing how to do. You really have to develop that skill. And, and it comes from educating yourself, which then makes you more confident, because you know what you're actually talking about, and then you know what you don't know, and you know where to look to get, to fill in the gaps of what you don't need.
0: And you so can navigate be questions better without sounding like, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, you can ask a doctor, you know, how do you feel about fusion surgery, as opposed to disc replacement surgery, and they can answer your question, and you don't actually know if they're bullshitting you or not. Yeah. <laughs> like, that affects your treatment decisions at that point, which affects your outcomes. So, I where do you get
0: your willpower and your tenacity from? I'm just curious. I'm telling you, I read. I go to the library and I read. Yeah, were you always <laughs> like? I grew up with a mother who's very similar to you, and she's a researcher in every sense of the word, and she's been an advocate for me since obviously since the day that I was born. Because I I'm like learning as an adult the issues that I had, right? Mm-hmm. And she I noticed now as a parent that she noticed my where I needed help right and she advocated for me and she got me the help that I needed um but my mom always had this saying that fear is just lack of education and so that's like the biggest thing and every time I hear like I hear my mom saying that to me it's funny because I tell my mom all the time she's like you're doing a great job you're handling all this stuff like when we were doing all the doctor's things and I'm like I'm just pretending to be you <laughs> like, let me
2: tell you, fake it until you make it. I tell my right? sister, I tell everybody that. I'm like, I went, do you know how many times I went into it? I got it, my my big job I got in New York. I went into that meeting and I had no idea what I was doing. I was so underqualified for the job. Yeah. And I, um, this was for a contemporary art gallery in Chelsea and I was going to be their controller. And up until that point, I had oh. only been an accounting assistant. Yeah so I was, uh, I have no accounting degree, mind you. And I went into that job interview and I was like, Holy crap. Like I'm so out of my depth. And by the end of the interview, like the guy was like, I'm just going to ask you flat out. Like, do you think you can actually do this? And I like took five, five seconds. And I was just like thought, and in that moment, I decided that I was going to do that job. Like, and not like, be like, no, this is too much for me. And I just turned to him and I go, I know I can learn and I want to learn, <laughs> so, yeah, I can absolutely do this job, and then he gave me, the he gave it to me, in that moment, he was like, up until that point, I really didn't no, think that, you, you earned that, that. I give you but anything. I just like, I just I decided, in that moment, I was like, I'm gonna tell you flat out, like, I don't know half the stuff you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I'll take classes, and I'll learn, and I'll figure things out, and I know that I'm good at figuring things out, so yeah, I can do this, and, like, that has been my key every step of the way. Well, never... yeah. <laughs> that's so,
0: like, that's why you're Sophie's mom. Like, that makes perfect yeah. sense to me. Because you know, you're going to figure it out. You're going to work it out. And you're you're not scared to yeah. take off whatever challenge. I
2: love that. That's and everybody, that win. everybody <laughs> has that ability. Like, yeah. no one is born knowing everything. No one is born knowing how to be the perfect parent. Mm-hmm. No one is, I, you know... There's too much knowledge in the world to, to know everything all the time. But if you have an ability to learn and you have like a unstoppable urge to research, <laughs> you can figure out anything. Anything. And that's my advice for anybody who's struggling, is like, do some research. Do your, your primary source research. But just do a Google search and read whatever on the internet. Like really actually dive down. Specifically, I did that, That uh, was a turning point in my treatment with my back, because up until that, uh, up until about a year, I, I didn't truly understand what my condition was. I knew roughly the mechanics of it, but I didn't really know, it, it was hard to explain like what exactly I was dealing with. And so I got a journal, an article out of a medical journal, written about my condition specifically, and I didn't understand any of the words in it, it was pure medical jargon and I printed it off and I got like a red pen and I looked up every other word in a medical dictionary. And it was like the first time I actually understood like what I was dealing with.
1: And how empowering is that?
2: Well, then I started to actually get treatment that was appropriate for what I was dealing with. I started to know if the doctors, if if I went into a doctor's office and they said that I was dealing with a squished jelly donut in my back, I got up and I walked out and I never went back again, you know, I knew what, what to ask and what I was looking for and I, and I found a surgeon who sat there and actually explained it to me like I was an adult who was capable of understanding and that was my surgeon who changed my life, fixed my back, like, and, and continues to support me in this, you know, it's a lifelong condition so I'm never really cured but I mean, He got me my life back and on a track of progress. And like, that was, it it would have never happened if I hadn't educated myself.
1: Mm -hmm. So I want to know, you were talking about how you need to find things that essentially make you happy, make you, you know, feel good emotions as opposed to like, ruminating (laughs) once again on the, on the terrible ones all the time. Yeah. Was that um, where Calliope Cookies came from?
2: Yes. Yeah. I I think, if I think back to, like, how that all started. So I spent the first year in bed. And I couldn't really watch TV, but I could watch um, videos on my iPad. So I discovered YouTube, which I had never watched YouTube before. And um, I somehow got turned on to cookie decorating videos and I watched I don't know like 50 hours of cookie decorating videos and it just like planted a seed in my brain and then I was like I need to try that And I was like, well, the two places I could go, I could go to the gym and I could go to the grocery store. So I was like, perfect. I'll go to the grocery store. (laughs) Like, right. So I, I walked to the grocery store and I got all the ingredients and everything that I needed. And I just for fun, like just for fun, decorated some cookies and it was great because it was inexpensive. I didn't have any money. And it was also, um, I could stand the whole time that I was doing it. So it was amazing for my back because it was getting me out of bed. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was like, well, that's, that was fun. And, you know, I had a good time with it. And then I gave them to like, um, one of the places where I was having surgery at the time, at that time, I was in hospitals, like every other week to once a month. Mm -hmm. And so I got to know everybody, (laughs) they all knew me, and so I brought in cookies, and I was like, I need these cookies, and yeah, everybody loved them, and so that was, um, that was how I got started about it, it was, it was like therapy in the beginning, it was like physically getting me out of bed, it like lightened the mood, I wasn't as depressed, I had something else to think about, I had a productive creative outlet, which you cannot discount the importance of
1: Productive, so cool. creative outlets. Great. And, <laughs> right?
2: <laughs> like, you know, crafting is not frivolous, in my opinion. Um, even if you never, even if it goes in a box in the closet, like, if you got some relief and enjoyment out of doing it, like, continue to do it. So that's what it was for me. And it, it was great because they were edible, so everybody would eat them, and then I could make more. And so it just kind of snowballed from there, and when I, so by the time I was in recovery from my surgery, I had lots of complications, and Leanne was with me through this whole process, but um, I was technically recovered physically. I had had a successful surgery, but all of the complications and the what happened before was like really, I couldn't recover mentally, I was having trouble with the mental aspect of it and uh, I was like, I need to either throw myself into something that is all consuming or I'm going to, something bad's going to happen and I'm going to regress. So I was like, well, if I make cookies for people's like birthday parties and events and they pay for them so i don't have to feel bad about spending too much money that we didn't have maybe i can keep myself occupied enough to like you know fake fake it till i was like out of that hole and and i did and i just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it until i wasn't in that depression anymore basically it was it was really bad depression and it helped me just like lift me out of that but i didn't i started out just ignoring it pretending like I wasn't depressed. And then through the process of doing the cookies and getting positive feedback and, you know, being able to be involved in people's, you know, special events and stuff just fulfilled me all the more. And so I was like, well, I'll just keep doing it because this is making me feel great. It's getting me up out of bed. I'm spending, you know, eight to 10 hours decorating cookies instead of eight to 10 hours laying in bed and, you know, being miserable. So it was great for me physically, it was great for me mentally, and it started out as like something I just watched on YouTube. That was kind of like this like lark, but that, I mean, yeah, it that changed everything really. Yeah. You know, right now I've pivoted again, and I don't know <laughs> the future of the cookie company, but you know that's okay too.
1: Yeah.
2: Pivoting a lot is okay.
1: We became a mask company for a little. I know (laughs) it was great. We wear
2: them all the time. Those are my favorite ones. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm so glad. I'm. I'm not becoming a seamstress or a mask maker, though. I know that for sure. Like the cookie thing, I attempted professionally. Sewing, I will not. But um, I think that's a. a, You know, if people can learn anything from it, it's like we kind of think of life needing this like linear trajectory and that's when we feel like we're successful and some people it's not even good enough to be like this it needs to be like you and you know you need to be like a you know a hundred thousandaire by the time you're 30 like you know something like that (laughs) I wouldn't say millionaire but um no it's so true it's so true
0: we have all like again those expectations of what we think a great life's supposed to look like I, I almost feel like I know in my personal journey like anytime I get to in that way of this is how things have to be, the universe, God, whatever, will come oh, down okay. and be like, All right, we're <laughs> gonna humble <hungry laughs> you a little bit. We're gonna, yeah. we're gonna bring you back down. And, right. and it really does switch from to, to being grateful and being present, you know, all those things that everybody talks about, but that's really the only way you get through this thing <laughs> when you focus on the stuff that really does matter.
2: Yeah, and, it's true.
1: Paying attention. I think you hit the nail on the head, Claire, when you were talking about how you listened to your body finally, and you yes. took initiative to get the information you needed. And a lot of people just blindly go into their life situations and wonder why things happen to them. And it's just like, well, that's, you're, you're playing the wrong game. That's that's not how it works. You know, you right. need to take authority over your life and health and all of it you know yeah
2: I'm sure that's really important in in your job because it's like are you listening to your body like is your body screaming out at you in pain that you're lifting too much weight yeah (laughs) and you're feeling like you just have to power through it or are you actually feeling like the burn like you're being productive yeah you have to know the difference and you have to be listening to both of those things otherwise you're going to really like hurt yourself
1: and and you are and it's because of all your practice with your back and knowing your body and knowing your limits. And you you are my client that is more self-aware of their body than I, I think anyone I've ever worked with. And it's because you pay attention.
2: Even when that's frustrating
1: for it's you, frustrating. <laughs> you're like, "Can you do this?" And I'm like, it's "Nope." You. And you're like, "Can you do this?" I'm like, "Nope, not that either." <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do today? <laughs> it forces me to get creative, so I, I, mean, go. I never have too much of that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a good team. That's smart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's really, really smart. Well, I um, love. That. I love that. What are your um? What are your hopes for Sophie?
2: Oh, I love this because it's so, it's like warm fuzzies and dreams and stuff like that. I, I truly hope that she, uh, well, this is a good question because I don't want to say anything specific because I want her, you know what, this, is, this is how I feel about this. I want her to, her life to be completely designed by her. And whatever, you know, I don't want it to be limited by her her challenges, but if it is and she overcomes that, I think I'd be just as happy with that because my life isn't what I imagined. But I don't think it's any less than, it might even be better than what I was planning and where I was going. So even if life holds her back, even if, like, her – her her autism holds her back in certain ways, I hope that she's able to redirect in whatever way makes her the happiest and makes the most sense for her, and that she always feels empowered to take her life in the direction that, that will make her the most fulfilled.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: whatever that looks like, it I couldn't care less.
1: I hope that years from now she can listen to that. That-
2: <laughs> well, unless uh we lose the internet forever, which I don't <laughs> I don't know if that's gonna happen. It oh, might. God, but the internet is forever, right? So she might. Yeah. She might. Mm-hmm. Well
0: we'll save a copy for her somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I will. even if I've I have to it me put me it on a cassette tape. <laughs> <that's all that laughs> <will survive. laughs> There's nothing like a woman and a mother who's like ready to advocate and just love other child for being exactly who that child is. And as a mom who's trying to do that for her children, I just, my hat's off to you. I think it's absolutely amazing. And I just, I can't thank you enough for coming in and just talking with us about this because I was telling Leanne, I've I've reached out to other people and it's a hard thing to come and talk about one, a diagnosis and two, your child. And then three, yeah. your own personal experience with it and leave it open to criticism. And um, I've had other people that weren't able to come on and do this with me. So I just want to say thank you and that you are in such good hands. We are going to make this a
2: great piece <laughs> of art for you. Oh, um, you I hope my disclaimers help too, so that y'all don't get any backlash. So no, yeah, we do we'll, we'll do like, We'll do anything. We'll just, we're open. It's kind to of a learn. milestone though. If you do, it's kind of a milestone. That means you kind Absolutely. of made it.
0: <laughs> there we go. If you get some well, backlash, I'm it might feel like a feather in your cap. A long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I got no. a whole headdress of feathers. No. Oh my gosh! No, no, no. I mean, the way that we approach anything here at, at have the convo and in my businesses is just transparency, right? And like, we are always have to be willing to know that somebody's going through something, and that we can learn something, right? Hmm. Things gonna be figure outable if that's the case, even if people disagree or, or have different opinions or or can offer a different advice. So I'm excited. I, I can't wait to watch all these things that you you know put on here that I haven't seen yet and, and to dive into some of these books. It was it was very informative. So I just wanted to say
2: thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. This was fun. And I know like this was really fun. And I told Leanne like this was this was like an itch I've been needing to scratch for a long time but just haven't had the time to like have that deadline to like make sure I sat down and typed all this stuff. It's been misleading mm-hmm. in my head for years now and it felt so good to just get it out. And like even more like exciting that it might like get to other people who might find it helpful. So this is like amazing. And I'm really honored that you think I'm interesting because I didn't
1: think I really was. Oh my gosh, you're so <laughs> Everybody <laughs> said <says> that. Everybody <laughs> said so funny. <laughs> it's so crazy. <funny. laughs> it's, it's that voice in your head. Yeah, yeah, like
2: that. That's how I approached it. Like, if I can share some advice, or you know, then then it makes it spread awareness. Then it makes it worth it because then it's not just me being like in your
0: so head crazy. about it, trying to go through it, and navigate it alone.
2: I get it. How awesome I am at life, like
1: <laughs> you know. It was thoughtful. It was informative. It was vulnerable. And you, thank you. You did awesome,
0: Claire. Yeah, well, thank, thank you. you. Oh, Logan, so much for and just and enjoy. Well this is fantastic so thank
2: yes. you thank you guys so much and have a great great rest of your day yeah right.
0: bye guys
1: bye claire. bye claire thank
2: you to
0: view claire's full list of references visit the links in our instagram bio or by searching at have the convo on facebook and for more resources on autism visit autism talk soon